0: Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jordan jarrett Brian of Channel 4 News, and John Cross of the Daily Mirror. Now, this is a bit of an understatement, but it's been a turbulent season for Manchester United. Managerial trauma, moles in the dressing room, performances patchy. Yet there are signs of progress, therefore points clear of the pack in fourth place, Arsenal and Spurs have games in hand. They travelled to Madrid for the last 16 tie against Atletico in good spirits. Now, Jordan, you've consistently talked up United's chances in the Champions League. Still confident?
1: (laughs) Um... So I'm going to probably double down now and do, do what most <laughs> leaders in politics and in sport are doing. And am like, yes, I'm sticking with it. I know I'm wrong, but I'm sticking with it. No, no, I, I probably will have to concede that there are a handful of teams, not only significantly better than United, but in, in better form. I made my prediction at the start of the season based off of the fact that it's a comp, cup competition. And I think, as has been said before, they're a team that play in moments and have the individual quality to be able to win a one-off game, even against the best. Their record over the last five years, spanning Jose Mourinho and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against the top teams in England, isn't actually that bad. And even in Europe, you know, they've beaten Paris a couple of times. So I made that prediction off the basis that I thought they could stumble their way and out-quality their way on a one-off occasion. To, to, to a final, then you never know. But but having seen the form that the other favourites are in and the form that they're in, no, they're, they're not going to win this, this Champions League. I think they will come through this tie. I do think they've got enough to come through this tie. But but going all the way, no. I've, I've seen just too much in the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Bayern, even Paris, I'd probably put above above United in terms of winning this. So, so no, I'm going to get the beep, beep, be reverse um, Claxon coming out now and 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 change change my mind on that one
0: yeah obviously there's a lot of conjecture around ralph ranik john you know he claims he's brought improvement do you agree with that and if so where you know i think his game management
2: probably has improved but what, what do you say Wreck-It-Ralph, as he's, as he's uh, affectionately known. <laughs> I don't know. It's really, it's really a difficult one to say on whether he's improved them. I think he has marginally improved them, just because I felt as, as if Solskjaer's tenure and reign was just drifting. I don't actually think if they'd left Solskjaer in charge until the end of the season, things would have been that much different but I just think they probably would have been slightly worse off and would have picked up form at some point when the players decided I would do quite like this guy after or maybe we'll start playing for him a little bit more again and I I just feel that's a similar thing really I just thought Raniac would it's very difficult isn't it to to implement a complete revolution within a season and I think that's part of the problem this is a guy who hasn't coached at the top level for quite some time so he's, he's still got admirers from a technical point of view but but as a coach I don't think you know I think he's had his day but then if he was to have his day then it would be about high energy and pressing and United's still not doing that so it's that's just obvious that when they play well and in good spells they are but I do feel as if there's small snippets aren't there really he was bold yes they bring back I love Paul Pogba. I just uh, Paul Pogba would play in any team, and and they're better for it. And you know when they produce their best stuff, I felt uh, at times yesterday Paul Pogba was behind it. And there's little bits, but it's just not there's just not enough time, and it's it feels like a fix-it job. You know, listen, I see Jordan's point of view that basically the Champions League this season is crazily wide open. In my view, there's no clear favourite. So, someone crazy could win that. But I think much more likely if he was to sneak into fourth, then I think that United fans and United hierarchy would go, "Well, that was pretty painful," but actually, Ralph has done a job here and he's got us into fourth from a position where they really didn't think that were possible a while ago. So is that successful? Well, probably yes. Mm. You
0: know, there's a lot of talk at United, Jordan, of of the weight of the shirt. You know, we go right back to Cantonar who just ignored it. Jaden Sancho, is the weight of his shirt easing, you think? Or is he just simply being used in the in the right way?
1: I think a bit of both. I think he's becoming more comfortable in playing for a club the size of Man United. I mean, Dortmund are a beast in Germany, but Man United are two levels above that in terms of the stature of, of that football club. And being a wide man as well in that position as well brings a lot of pressure at a club like United as well, considering the kind of history of players they've had in that position. And let's not forget, he's still relatively young and he's not played, although he's English, he's not actually played in top level Premier League football before. So I think these are things that should be factored in and considered as well. But I do think there's an element of him playing in his favorite position as well. I think, you know, it's not rocket science. If you put good players where they do their best work, they're gonna be better than worse. I actually think that he could be the key going forward for the next couple of years for Manchester United under Rangnick he won't be in charge as manager next year but I really think the understanding that the the German-esque understanding if you like between Rangnick and the upbringing of the last three or four years that Sancho has had in Dortmund could actually be really really positive for United in the next two or three years if they can find the, the right role for him to flourish i think they've got a potential superstar in their hands there i know a lot of people still aren't quite convinced by Jaden sancho and, and to some degree i understand why in an england shirt and previous to the last few weeks in a man united shirt he's not lived up to the hype if you like but just look at his numbers for dortmund they were absolutely record-breaking and insane and you don't do what he did for dortmund unless you are not only a huge talent but a highly intelligent football player as well. So I think if United and Randy can get this right with the appointment that can get the best out of someone like Sancho, I see him as the future more so than anyone else in that front line. And I include Rashford in that as well. I think he could be the guy that really could propel United the next two or three years to success if they get the manager in that can get that can unlock the current form to, to another level that we're currently seeing under him. Where do
0: you think, John, that Ronaldo sits in that equation because you know do they allow him to to leave in the summer and and you know let's be honest when you've got a player of his personality and almost force of will can a new team emerge in his
2: shadow still no I don't think he can I don't think they can really I don't think Ronaldo has worked to be honest for whatever reason I mean it's just not you look at his stats. His stats are incredible. They're so revealing in the terms of the the output and the work rate and the and the sprints and, and what he needs to be doing. Well, that's just not. It's like having the rest of the team playing one way and this isolated figure up front playing completely different game. It's just not either you play to Ronaldo's strengths or you just say forget it. And it's I mean it's just. It's bizarre the lack of planning. It's just like I oh, will sign a sort of a you know a cantonar figure. We'll sign a you know incredible saviour and he'll and he'll come to our aid. And it's just not working really. I think it's impacted upon others as well. I think it's had a detrimental effect on. It's clearly a few a few issues behind the scene. Ranier was bold enough to admit that on Friday, wasn't he? That there have been issues. So it's in, impacted. I think on the ha- harmony in the dressing room because he's such a big figure. I think it's it's impacted away upon the way that others play. Has it taken Sancho longer? Probably. John was touching on it. Then what's best about Sancho? It's just when he's when he's in the moment and sort of calm and composure and that you know the lovely little thing when he just stops, runs to a dummy and then stops and then and then finds the the cross or the pass. And that's what he's about. I think it's impacted upon players right across the, the pitch, and I just don't think it's worked. Unfortunately, I think it's. It's the sort of the second coming hasn't hasn't happened and they just need to move on from, from that. I think he could still be, while well, United look for a goal scorer and a, and a long-term striker, maybe, maybe, maybe he can find the odd goal or important goal as he, ha- as he has done. But it's just not had the spectacular effect that
1: United had dreamed and hoped it would. And just to add to John's point there about Ronaldo, and I think to to to, to determine whether he's been a success or not, I think it was encapsulated by the discussion on Sky a few weeks back when there was a big argument between Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane and it's, I, think, I think you get past the whole comedy of the whole argument and the whole theatre of that particular incident of them arguing and screaming at each other on, on live TV but actually there was something in there in terms of well what has he been brought to United to do? What was the brief? And if you take the Roy Keane argument well look we may of a cup team win a few cups if he can lift them to a few cups that will be deemed success so if united can can lift the champions league and that's a, that's a very big cup then but finish maybe sixth they may say well we'll take that. that that's what he was brought in to do but then you take the jamie Carragher argument well hang on a minute if you're spending all that money you're spending all that money on a player who is of that age to win now and actually, if Man United aren't winning and, and getting and competing for the, t- for the title now, having brought in Ronaldo, well, then what was the point in bringing him in in the first place? Um, so I, I think to, to, to determine whether he's been a success or not, we have to ask ourselves what was the reason he was brought in? And I think we can then answer that. And secondly, John again mentions Sancho there. And I've mentioned on this pod as, as well, Mike. I think the person that would have been most. Upset about that signing is Jaden Sancho. I reckon if you get him in a private room on his own one on one and it said to him, Jaden, if you knew Sancho Ronaldo was signing a week or two after you signed, would you have still sign that contract? I bet you he says no. I guarantee you he's, he would have said no. Because the minute Ronaldo rocks up, the, the couple of weeks after he signs, he's thinking, well, what, what am I doing here then? <laughs> I thought that wide area was going to be for fam- me. Do you know what I mean? So. I think contrary to the argument that he was gonna lift everybody and it was a great signing for that young players, it's gone the other way. It's actually been detrimental to I think individuals in that team as well. So I think moving him on in the summer to in order to move forward would be the best thing for United.
0: Yeah, I think that's you know, I've always thought that he was signed simply because they could stop him signing for Manchester 100%. City. Yeah. So, you know, they've got Atletico in Madrid on Wednesday. Do you get a sense, John, that you look at uh, that club and that team and specifically that central character of Diego Simeone? Do you see a a legend beginning to unravel there?
2: Yeah, they did have a spectacular season last year, didn't they? Um, But yeah, I do feel as if it's it's now a question of whether he's given the backing and the time to sort of build another team if you like, really, because it definitely did feel as if it was the end for that generation and changes afoot. They've, they've done actually quite well, haven't they, in the last few seasons of kind of bringing players in, tweaking the team with 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 a loan or two. And then it's it feels as if they've kind of really eat every bit of last reserve out of that particular generation. And it just feels as if, that maybe it's time for, for, for a shift, really. I just think that Simeone is just... I don't know, we've been talking about Simeone and sort of kind of other jobs for so long and it's never quite happened. And so his, his you know, ties with that club are so strong. But really, I think in the past, you'd say there's such a force and there's such a danger in the Champions League. Do we regard them this time as as, as being so? I, I actually think that the, the point is that Man United probably got a pretty good chance of getting through. I would say it's probably a 50-50 tie. I think it would be a tight tie. But uh, t- to give United that sort of chance, when I think in the past, if United weren't playing well, we'll just forget it. Atletico would would, would, would get the job done. i tell you what, it, it'll it be really interesting, I think, in this tie, because I was thinking about this, right, and I did sort of kind of did uh, Liverpool and Milan last week, and do away goals matter, what the away goals debate, and that sort of thing. Well, I actually think that it's the away. It, we will notice the away goals and the removal of that rule in ties like this. Because if United were to score away, then then basically all of a sudden it's it's you know that's their opportunity, if you like. It really is. Listen, I think it's high time the away goals rule was done away with. But I do think it's sort of kind of a bit of leveling up on this one. And so I actually think it's particularly and these. To, sort of real 50-50 ties that I think it will make it even more intriguing and better.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, they hit a low point last week when they lost to Levante, you know, with a few signs of progress. They won three nil at uh, Osasuna on Saturday and they are fourth in, in, in La Liga. I just want to just stay with, with Simeone if I could, Jordan, you know, is there a, is there a burnout factor here due to his intensity and, now, we talked about him coming over to the Premier League, you know, ad nauseam, really, but would his methods work here or in, or elsewhere? And and perhaps when he looks back, did he need to actually challenge himself to find out how good he is and how transferable his
1: skills are? So I'll ask the second one first. No, I don't believe in this idea. They, they apply it to Lionel Messi as well, don't they, The Oh well, you know he's never played in another league. I know he's moved to France now, but to see if he's a real great, bring him to the Premier League, and we're gonna we're gonna find out then how good he really <laughs> is because we're not quite sure how good Messi is yet. But if he comes to the Premier League, that will confirm that Messi's a decent football player. <laughs> Nonsense. And I, and I think I think it's the same thing here. I, I wouldn't say that if Simeone doesn't manage in another league, that that will somehow could tell that his, the legacy of his greatness, I think that some people know where they're greats and where their strengths are. And I think he's found in Spain and with Atletico in particular, a perfect fit. You, you know, if he came to the Premier League, say, and it didn't work out, does that then undo the great works done at Atletico Madrid? I think he deserves insane amounts of credit for what he's done against the two giants in, in, in Spain with a significantly smaller budget against, the, I think he's won two titles now in La Liga. I think he's won then he's got to a Champions League final, I think a couple of semi-finals. So I no, I, I don't believe he 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 needs to come to the Premier League for us to really see how good he is. And I think sort of, I've always felt that with some people, players, and with Simeone in particular, I think Zidane's in this bracket as well, they just don't want to be in England. I don't think they want to manage or they don't want to be in England. And that's fine. Some people here don't want to move abroad, and it's that's fine as well. I just don't think. We should look at it through the prism of if he doesn't leave that particular league we're never going to know how good he really is but if he was to come to this country i don't see any reason why he couldn't be a success i think that what he what he brings in his style of management i don't think we've seen at that level i'm trying to think of another manager comparable to his style of management i mean early jose mourinho maybe very disciplined, very hardworking, all about values, you know, less so about technique and and free-flowing football, but much more about, well, if we don't concede, we're always going to be in a game. And if you've got quality up top, we can always nick a game. So I, I don't see any reason why his style of football wouldn't translate. The only concern I would have is, would the top teams in this country, and again, I mentioned Jose and Chelsea, but would the top teams in this country tolerate that type of football? even if it wins wins games i think when you get to the top teams of of european football i don't think you get to pick between style of play and trophies i think the biggest clubs in europe have to deliver both I, i know jose slightly broke the mold with that but chelsea were not a massive european team when he first rocked up there whereas now I think what Tuchel's doing is is you know not maybe not free flowing but it's not defensive football either. So I'm just not sure that a Man United or a Man City would tolerate winning games in the Simeone way. Mm. Chelsea, you know
0: since you mentioned them, uh, they're at home to Lille on Tuesday, John. You know Tuchel was was pretty tetchy after that win at Palace. Obviously he's no nearer to solving the Lukaku dilemma here. Only seven touches against Palace, which is the lowest I think since records began, I think they started collecting data in in 2003. How is that possible, that you go through a game of football
2: and touch the ball six, seven times? I, I just can't believe it. And when when kind of most of the day threw up that stat on, on Saturday, it was just, I'm thinking, you know, when sort of the, the ball goes over the top and you sort of kind of touch it... <laughs> ever so slightly and then touch it again to be it. Alone. <laughs> I know, does that count as two? You know, it's just like, oh my, how does that work? You know, and they're sort of saying there's one other other than the sort of the kickoff. It's just <laughs> astonishing. And there's various angles. I've, I've seen a lot and covered a lot of Chelsea this season. And there's clearly issues there and with with, with Lukaku. And it's just not it's just not working, and I feel as if Lukaku, for whatever reason—whether that's a a mentality thing, playing to his way or his style—we're back to the Lukaku at Manchester United, and I just feel that that isn't isn't right because Lukaku has has made people look really stupid. I think by going away from Man United when they didn't play to his strengths and playing so well at Inter Milan when he was formidable and awesome. And I, th- I I think we've seen it a couple of times in a Chelsea shirt. You know, one notably at Arsenal when he almost just dropped off the front line and basically came deep and then, you know, w- w- was a fantastic pivot really in sort of feeding the rest of the play, plays with intelligence, dynamism and real, you know, strength. But he was an absolute force, an unstoppable force, and I was just thinking, this guy's going to absolutely rip it up. And this is, you know, he's going to have a point to prove after what to United he's improved Inter unquestionably un- under Conte, perhaps, and he's going to come back and be an absolute phenomenon. Well, why isn't why hasn't that happened? And I think you have to look at Lukaku. You know, Tuchel keeps on pointing out this, that maybe there's something in it, that basically he's saying that he's such a big guy that it takes a while longer to get back to peak fitness. And every time you think you're there, he has a setback, whether that's an injury or whether that's COVID pre-Christmas, the interview row, interview gate, if, if you like. And, you know, there is a mission there from Tuchel, I think, along the way. He does get touchy about this, that we're not playing to his strengths as well. And so why why is that? You know, you, you certainly haven't got wide players at Chelsea. You've got inverted wingers almost, if you like, at best. He scored twice in, in, in Abu Dhabi in the Club World Cup. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's his level in a Chelsea shirt. And I don't mean that demeaningly, oh, sure. but it's just... Oh, I know, I know. That. But it's just that it's, it's the... I just feel that we're wasting a really top player here. How can you sign... Ninety-seven point five million pounds worth of striker, and they're not played to his strengths. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a massive Havertz fan. I really like Havertz the way he glides across the pitch. And people sort of say, "Oh, Chelsea don't play to his strengths," and you know we haven't found you know the best of Havertz yet. Hang on, do me a favor. He's a joy to watch, and basically scores important goals. You know, in the Champions League final. And I just think that it's been a very very difficult season. Lukaku, and I think that the fact that they're not playing to it, his strengths they're not getting the best out of him as a result you you look at it and think, well if Tushul's there for the long longer term beyond this summer, which he unquestionably is in my view, then maybe they'll have to think about offloading Lukaku because it's just not working they're just not playing to his strengths, I think it's a crying shame because he's a good player here, the best you know the best I think of his of his type.
0: In Europe? Is Is it a broader malaise, though, John? Well, I'll throw this to you, Jordan. Is it a broader malaise in terms of, you know, John mentioned dynamism there? Well, there's a definite lack of dynamism, collective dynamism in their play at the moment. And, you know, I think Havertz is probably culpable in that as well. So, you know, you've got, at the moment, they're relying on other players to almost like seize the day in the way that you know, Zayac has done three goals in as as many games. Where do you see this Chelsea team evolving? How do you see it evolving?
1: I'm not sure, but what I do know is that some of those players they have up top are highly talented. I don't think we're seeing the best out of the likes of Havertz. I, I, like John, I'm a big fan of Havertz as well, but I think there's more. I think there's more in there. And I think maybe similar to Arteta in the sense that but to a a better degree, Tuchel seems to be very accomplished at building a team that defensively is solid and knows how to defend and knows how to be hard to beat and well structured, but hasn't quite worked out how to form an attack. And he's he's got all these great ingredients of of attackers up top that on their own are very very dynamic, but hasn't had he hasn't really got a system that for me is convincing. I I, I think that he will have to sacrifice either Lukaku or Havertz next season. I don't think they work together, and it's a massive outlay on both of those individuals, but something isn't quite clicking. I think that he might have to find a different system next year because if chelsea don't win the champions league again and they don't finish in the top two roman's going to be looking at tuchel like okay we're not quite in firing territory yet but the standards of chelsea are so high i need to see an improvement for for next season and i think that improvement may may come with making a drastic change in in personnel up top i don't think they can go they they've they've got all these chelsea squad attack wise anyway there's so many players there And I just think he's not found a way to make it dynamic and to make it fluid and to make it something that actually attacking wise, I don't think Chelsea are scary. And they should be. Chelsea should be one of the most frightening teams coming forward in Europe. And I, I don't think they quite are. I think that is more on him than it is on the individuals that he's got. But I think that you've got all these high, high priced High wage players that just aren't gelling, and I'm not sure that they can. So I think there might have to be a thing where, some of the one of those big boys, may have to move on for the greater good of of, of the team and the attack. I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. I mean, I just think that Havertz
2: is. It, I think at the at the moment, Havertz is the best solution, playing as as almost the false nine. And then basically Chelsea are a better team, I think, when Havertz is in, in that role. John,
1: I was convinced they, were, they weren't going to sign a striker. I thought this year mm. they were going to go with Havertz as the main force nine, if you like. I, I was stunned yeah. when they got, when I was saying to everybody, they're not going to buy a striker, they're not going to buy a striker, then boom, 100 million Lukaku. I was like, okay, didn't see that coming. I, I think that Lukaku wasn't needed. I know people said they needed a the forward. I don't think they did need a forward. It was working. What they What they were doing was working. Yeah, totally.
0: Look at Lille, if we could, you know, briefly, John, 10th you know, in Ligue only 32 goals in 25 games. So that suggests it's unlikely to be a classic on <laughs> Tuesday night.
2: Thanks, Mike, uh, I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you know, it looks like, though, the, the European form is better than the domestic form, isn't it? You know, they topped their Champions League group, which was a decent group, Salzburg and Wolfsburg and Sevilla. What do you make of them?
2: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, really. They, they've really sort of flat-lined in the league this season and and actually had quite an in, a lot of interest, didn't they, in, in sort of January in, you know, two or three players, really, and have held on to it. Goals have been a, a, a massive problem. But I do feel as if that, you know, it, it was a bit of a, well, to put it mildly, a bit of a surprise last, last year when they basically snatched these sort of kind of Champions League place. But I do feel as if they're... Slightly run, slightly run their course. I, I I feel that Chelsea, are massive, massive favourites, they you know to 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 get through. Obviously, I know what you say about the group, but I think that group is quite. Would, would, it was a group that you could say, well, the four fairly evenly matched teams, and I think that the fact that they all gone through there, it was open for them. It wasn't as if they were that they were flying in that in that group. So I feel as if Chelsea really should have no excuses in this one, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see it's a long-term dynasty. Really, they've got some, they've got some decent players, but I don't really feel as if this should ex- extend Chelsea too much, really. Yeah, well,
0: you know, they're, I suppose they're hoping that, that Renato Sanchez is fit after a calf injury. He's a bit one of those what-if players, isn't he? I just uh, switch Jordan, if I could, to domestic matters. You know, I think. We all all agree, with a smile on our face, that the title race is now back on Liverpool. They play their game in hand against Leeds at Anfield on Wednesday. You know, we saw Leeds against United. They've now let in fifty goals. You know, you might need an abacus at Anfield on 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 uh, Wednesday night, mightn't you?
1: Yeah, it could get quite messy. Le- Leeds are not in a good place right now. I don't think they're going to go down. I think they'll have just about enough. But even saying that now, I mean, you know, Watford won on the weekend, Newcastle are a good run of form, Burnley won on the weekend as well, and, and Norwich performed well against Liverpool. So, you know, maybe I'm, a, I'm, I'm making a presumption there that they will be fine. I, I, I would probably send the balance of probability they all stay up. But yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very, I think if you offered Leeds, you know, 17th right now, they they, they would take that. It's going to be painful, I think, between now and the end of the season, but I think they'll be OK. Um I do believe, I mean, our our friend and and colleague, Mr. Darren Lewis here has been rabbiting it on. Anyone that will listen about this title ray being back on, it's back on, it's it's not over, it's not over. I think City will still win the league quite comfortably. But yes, I guess technically you have to, there is a race on now. You know, Liverpool are potentially within three points of of Manchester City here. So, you know, for for us to make podcasts and write articles and, you know, do radio shows and TV shows, it's really good in that sense. But I, I'm, I'm not convinced that what happened against Spurs for Manchester City was anything more than a just, you know, Spurs were the better team on the day. And I don't think Manchester City were poor. I just think Spurs were better. They just they just had their number on the day. So I wouldn't, I'd be surprised if we see any kind of decline or dip in form from Manchester City that lets Liverpool back in. But you never know, you know, let's, let's see the next couple of games, how they work out. But Liverpool will, they, they'll smell blood. They'll be they'll be sensing. Okay, we actually have it. We're back in the race. We've done the hard work of getting ourselves back in the race. Let's just keep. Let's just keep within six three points of Manchester City and see see if we can make them blink. But um, no, I, I think despite Liverpool's push and I think win this week, I, I still think City win this league by at least five points.
0: Yeah. Well, when you think about it, Liverpool have lost only twice since being beaten by Real Madrid last April. I think City have lost 11 times in that same period. I think Chelsea, eight. Just as a a point about Mo Salah, if I may, John, 150 goals now for Liverpool. Uh, Only Roger Hunt, who's Liverpool deity, has reached 150 goals faster than him. Uh, Your colleague, uh, Dave Maddock, I thought, made an interesting point, an interesting comparison where he compared... Salah and Mane to Russian Barnes, which is, you know, really and Liverpool terms really high praise. Are we at the stage now where Salah can only be judged against legends? Yeah, because I think
2: he is a legend. I think that he's he he has been a phenomenon really for Liverpool. It's just the way that he, you know, scores goals, the way that he is such a you know, such an incredible striker, brilliant, you know, technically fantastic entertainer, his his partnership with, with Marno is something else as well. And I think that's the point, isn't it, that Dave was making, that sort of kind of, you know, that, that link-up, understanding that partnership brings back revived memories of sort of kind of legends of, of the past, really, and sort of, you know, where that sort of kind of, I don't know, Barnes and Rush or and whatever, really. I, I think it's a really interesting point, really, with Salah, because... Now, where do we go from here as well? Because we've got still got the contract issue. We've we've got Firmino is the other sort of the building block in in, in place, if you like, and and yet whenever you leave out Firmino, he, you know, like he did in Milan last week, he comes on and basically scores a crucial goal, you know, and makes it makes his point basically. But they have signed Jota, who's given them a new dimension. Diaz the same, and Diaz has hit the ground running. And it just really, I think, ups the ante. And it is really genius management and recruitment, I think, from Liverpool's point of view, because it just raises the stakes. And what happens? I think Salah, in particular, absolutely responds. I mean, Mane's goal was something else, you know? (laughs) I mean, it was just astonishing. It was a fabulous piece of skill. It was so exciting and brilliant. You know, I stopped the game and said to my daughter, you know, you've got to watch that. And it's just like, it's just amazing, you know, goal. And it's just fantastic. We're, we're watching such incredible football and attacking brilliance at the moment. And I just think that Salah is such a key component of that. I mean, he's just absolutely fantastic. I absolutely pray that the basic Liverpool are able to keep him and sign him to a new contract because... I do think we're coming to D-Day quite soon and I think it would be such a loss for the Premier League if, if in any way we lost any of that of that front three. But I think we might do because I think Liverpool are kind of almost taken out insurance policies I think so too. But, I actually agree with
1: John I've, I've never I've never actually gone along with the idea Mike that Liverpool must sign him at all costs I don't believe in that I think Liverpool have played this so well they've played this so intelligently I mean Salah is the best player in the world right now and of course you want to keep him but what they've done in their pre in their kind of pre-planning ahead is basically put the ball back in his court to say well look we're moving forward and we want you to be a part of this but we're not going to they're not going to give you stupid money to stay here, but I also think there's also an argument, and it's a question for you two. Where would you rank Salah in the in the Premier League's greatest signings? Because I would argue top three. I paid, paid 30 million, 33 million for him. But when you think what they've got for that 33 million, I can't think of many transfers that have delivered pound for pound what he has. I can't think of many. Cantona maybe a million and the impact that he had. But I would argue Salah, a Champions League, another final, a Premier League, a runners-up. The goals, what he's, how he's reinvigorated that football club. I, I, I'm struggling to find a better pound for pound signing in Premier League history.
2: Cool, that's a good. That is a good one, actually. Yeah, I always, I always throw Drogba into this equation, you know. But I know he was slightly, so just over because he was a, just a game changer for Chelsea. So and, and an absolute icon, I think, for the Premier League. I know people will always look at Henry and camp or whatever i love jogba so much but it's a great it's a great shout it is a good talking point yeah he's right up there you're right money value because the sort of the prices have changed since then so john what about
0: spurs you've got kane and and son back to their best how is that team evolving and how impressed have you been by conte he's really proving himself isn't he
2: well, you would have got a very different answer if you'd asked me this question on Friday as compared to, <laughs> as compared to 7.30 Saturday night. I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing in football, isn't it, what 90 minutes can do. And it really feels like that with, with Tottenham. I mean, you know, has Conte got this energy from kind of that siege mentality which he tried to invoke on Friday ahead of the game? Has he got it from taking time, from you know needing time and patience to kind of getting the new players included into the team and how he sets it up? I always thought that Bentenker was a bit the negativity around him. I thought, frankly, for me, was a bit hard to understand because I did think he was a good player. But we um, knew less about. I, uh, I, I'm such a big admirer of his. I think he's an absolute tactical genius. I feel as if... The performance against Man City was incredibly exhilarating and fascinating, and brilliant to watch. What a game of football! I felt a lot of that came from Kane having something to prove, and when Kane produced one of his all-time best performances, basically as a centre forward, in not just scoring but also creating. His mix between a classic number nine and number ten was never more evident. He's such a good player, Harry Kane. In the last few months since the summer, we've we've tended for, to forget that. And when Kane's on song, Son is just fabulous. off him, the, the partnership as a, as as an understanding as as a working sort of kind of um, partnership is just phenomenal. It's so difficult to stop, and yeah, I just think that Spurs have still got an opportunity to to finish fourth. And I think if there's a manager that can do it, then then it is Conte. He's still got to repair a lot and kind of hold this thing together with some shards of glue. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i always a big Lloris fan, but I mean, Lloris, you know, does what he does on that Man City equaliser and everyone piles in on him and says, oh, you know, he's not what he was, typical Lloris, he's done it again. Well, he's a World Cup winning goalkeeper. And kind of by the end, he's the hero sort of thing. Romero is such a top quality player, in my view, getting the best out of him. You know, he's integrated Sessignon. It would be nice to see Sessignon get a run of games because I think he's... He's a good option. You know, he's suffered through lack of confidence and form and Reggion as, as well being there. But, you know, I, I think you can see what Conte's trying to do in amongst kind of those explosive remarks it have unsettled and disrupted. But I think when when the team is focused and when when Conte's on song, and I don't think it will last forever. By the way, <laughs> you know, mm. nothing. You wouldn't be surprised if he finished fourth. He got him in the Champions League, and he quit in the summer because that's just the way he is. Mm. But I think that, you know, if you if you're prepared to sort of kind of take that and swallow that, then it, it's with Conte. It's always a, a fascinating, brilliant ride, which is which is great fun to watch. I think mm.
0: Spurs are at, at, at Burnley on Wednesday, and the following day, Arsenal are at home against Wolves, Jordan, which obviously is a pivotal game in in the context of finishing fourth. I thought it was a really interesting point that Mikel Arteta raised about ML Smith-Rowe, where he's basically saying, look, he could play him as a central striker.
1: Do you think he can play as a nine? No, I don't. I think he could do a job, if needs be, through the middle. I think his movement and his growing intelligence... Of, of of where he plays. I think could see him do a job there in the short term. But 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 no, I, I don't see a centre forward there. I don't see a good enough finisher that I would want my number nine to to possess to see him be that my main marksman. And also, I mean, people know myself and John, we're, we're Gunners, we're Arsenal fans here. It feels a little bit like it would be the cheap option. It kind of scares me a little bit that if we're leaning towards Trying to make him into a centre forward is that the prelude to where we're not going to go and spend sixty million on a striker in the summer. Uh, that, that 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 slightly worries me. I, I, but but in its own, I, I don't see him being that player. I do think Emil Smith Rowe is a huge talent. I'm still not convinced about where his best position is. I think he's very good wide. I think he's good in as a number ten as well. I think he's dynamic. I think he's direct, and I think he's a decent finisher with with, with pace. And he's, you know, he's, I think he's Arsenal's top scorer at the moment, or, or not a joint top scorer at the moment. So I think there's definite qualities in in the young man that that, that I love about him. But centre forward, no, that that's not where I where I see him. But I thought he was very good on the weekend. I thought Martinelli being sent off against Wolves in the in the last fixture in the fixture before last, in a weird way. I mean, Arsenal haven't got the biggest squad, but if there's one player you could probably afford to have a suspension to, it probably was Martinelli because in that position. We've kind of got decent cover with the likes of Emil Smith Rowe coming in and, and, and improving. And indeed, Pepe was another option as well there. So interesting to see whether he persists with with Emil Smith Rowe, you know, in 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 that wide position, or if he does experiment through the middle. But no, I, I don't see him long term as as the solution as, as a forward. I, I wouldn't want to see that either.
0: Mm, yeah. Also on Thursday night, you've got the uh, Europa League playoffs. Yeah, you know, I think we were watching the same game, weren't we, John, when Rangers were winning, you know, in in Dortmund and I think we probably shared the general sense of astonishment at that. Do you think Rangers can finish the
2: job off at Owen Brock's? I, I think they can, but I also think, sorry to sit on the, horribly on the fence here, that I do think the Dortmund have got such a good squad that basically without a shadow of a doubt they can come back and reclaim that result. I mean, I have to say that I mean <laughs> You know, I was sort of, sort of messaging another mate of mine who was sort of watching intently, and blimey, I think between the three of us, we were just amazed. And <laughs> he couldn't quite understand. He, he watches a lot of Dortmund, and he just couldn't understand it. Have they been a bit complacent here? Have they been a bit, you know, sort of let the guard down? Just, they just—they were terrible, absolutely terrible. And yet, they have given themselves half a chance, haven't they? With with with, with the goals, then that it sort of came back at. But it's great. The one thing is that really fascinates me about this, Mike, I think we touched on this, didn't we, <laughs> a little exchange, is that I know people take a lot of the Champions League reforms and the kind of the Super League and, and everything that goes around it with it. Well, I actually think that some of these different experiments are quite intriguing and offer something a little bit different. And credit where credit's due... I actually think that UEFA have found a way in the Europa League, suddenly it's incentivized to win your group so you don't get quite the number of dead rubber games in the group stages because the incentive is to to avoid the last 32, if you like, and skip around, as West Ham have done. I think that the playoffs, rebranding them as the playoffs, when most people like me, well, it's the last 32, it's not, actually, it's the playoffs. <laughs> and so, you know, you found another way of marketing that and suddenly you've got some really heavyweight games in there by the way quite apart from just this one and so you've got that extra edge taking it all the way back to sort of the Europa Conference League you've kind of got that promotion by winning that into the Europa League and then also you know the long thing the long running thing about winning the Europa League gets you in the Champions League and I actually think that there's bits of this that you can see a kind of a, a European-wide league taking shape as, as UEFA see it. And while we've kind of got to be careful what we wish for, but I just thought last Thursday night, do you know what? I thought that was really exciting. I thought credit where credit's due. I thought that, yeah, the Europa League suddenly grew in, in stature, and I think, and, and in excitement. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it together
0: in a know in a, in a a bit of a, a unique way really my my attention was um sparked here by the the complaints by West Ham uh, that Chris Wood was meowing at Kurt Zuma during Saturday's game now you know i'm not don't want to play down the seriousness of that abhorrent behaviour from Zuma and you know we must obviously you know bear in mind that there's still a, an RSPCA investigation into it But it did get me thinking about who's your favourite wind-up merchant? Who's the player that you wouldn't mind having in your team, but when he's on the opposition, you can't stand him? Who is is the person, you know, of all the players that we've seen, who's your cartoon villain? Jordan?
1: I'll go with Costa. I think Costa is probably the person that, to your description, he didn't play for my club. And I, he used to infuriate me because any excuse to kind of go down, get in the referee's ear, exaggerate an injury, wind people up. He was the best at it. Him and there, they, 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 they were the best at it. But if he was at my club, I would love it. I would absolutely <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Bring it on. Do what you got to do. I love some of that. Uh, but yeah, I think Costa's probably the most of recent times he springs to mind as the real wind up. Like I, I, he was, he was so good at it. It was very, very good, very good. It's, I, it's almost a skill to be able to tow that line of, you know, winding up the opposition enough that it throws them off their game and gets referees' attention, but not so much that you've been sussed. And yeah, I, I, I would go with Costa for now.
2: Good, John. Yeah, there's a few that sort of spring to mind but the one that really sort of struck a chord uh, on this one simply because his sort of kind of name cropped up recently was Pepe, the Portuguese defender who frankly suddenly came to prominence in my mind again recently because a few of us sat down with Mason Mount in Abu Dhabi and we just sort of kind of having a bit of chit-chat and he was sort of talking about the Champions League run last season and he was saying that when they played Porto and Pepe's there obviously now just how he was almost trying to avoid and yet wanted to embrace the kind of legend of the, of the wind-ups, whether that's pinching an opponent, something that, that, that he sort of says. They clearly came off the pitch and and kind of thought, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> we kind of really came up against the arch-wind-up merchant who, who, frankly, you know, crossed the line on more than you know, so many occasions, he's the arch villain. I think of the last say twenty years, but he's just—it just struck me that for someone like Mason Mount to suddenly think. Yeah, I've been up against the sort of the legend of the wind-ups. It just really sort of kind of struck a chord. And that's kind of, you know, as I say, pinching, sort of punching, underarms sort of kind of, you know, when the referee's not seeing it. It was just fascinating to watch, absolutely fascinating to sort of kind of listen to it. You know, a player at the top of his game talking about how he's completely intimidated by the legend of the wind-ups. Yeah, well, Pe- Pepe was 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 the name that sprang
0: to mind immediately for me. Because when you think- Think about it He's he's had 13 red cards He's got more battle scars Than you can count And at 39 we can safely say He's not going to change He's now facing a two month ban For kicking a sporting Lisbon director In a recent post match brawl Look his he's football's Dick dastardly isn't it And I love that But But, hang uh, on.
1: but so, sorry, but hang on. isn't the whole beauty of a wind up merchant that Someone that gets away with it That's why Costa was so good because he got nine times out of ten, he got away. Whereas Pepe, he 13 red cards implies he wasn't very good at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I suppose we can talk about it all night, can't we, really? But and and I'm going to be intrigued, he's going to be helping Porto try to defend a 2 1 lead in Rome against Lazio on Thursday night. So that could be required viewing as well. You know, it won't be pretty, but you'll probably be effective. Anyone out there? Who's the player that you love to hate? Let me know, please. In the meantime, thanks to John and Jordan for their insight and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast.